Welcome to a brand new edition of Yuan's. I'm Omar Moore. Watford win again. Back from the break and two on the spin for the Golden Boys as they continue on their winning ways. Watford winning their first away game in almost 10 months. That's the focus and a few more things on this brand new edition of Welcome, welcome, welcome to this brand new edition of Yuan's Omar here. And yes, I am back. This is the Yuan's podcast. And it is great to be back. Yes, it's been a while, of course, the international break, but I also took a little extra time because I think sometimes that's a good thing to do. Mental health is important. Taking a break is important. And being good to yourself is important. And I want to remind you of that, fellow Watford supporter, wherever you may be listening. Thank you very much indeed for doing so. Take time out for yourself. And if you are having mental health challenges, please, please do not be afraid to ask for help. I think that's the most important thing that you're going to hear on this particular edition of the Yuan's podcast. And you will be hearing that here from time to time, particularly at this time of year, but any time of year, because mental health is always very, very important. Check in on people. And if you're someone who's going through some difficult mental health challenges, make sure once again that you do, please, ask for help. I know that can be difficult, but you can do it. So we are back here at Yawns. And again, thank you very much indeed for listening. I have to say that, wow, the last time I did one of these podcasts, it was a while back, of course, just before the international break. In fact, I didn't do a podcast prior to the international break either. That was the Cardiff game, a Cardiff against Watford, where Cardiff took the lead in that game and Watford on their away travels to South Wales performed quite well uh, in that game, were resilient and got themselves an equalizer. And it looked like they were the only team of the two who were likely to score again. But as it stood, neither team scored and it remained at 1-1 and that was the score at the final whistle. Watford played well that day. I liked what they were doing on the pitch. The midfield looked good. Kone looked particularly good in that midfield. And they entered the international break with that draw. They came back from the international break on Saturday against Sheffield Wednesday, where they did not play well for much of the game. Sheffield Wednesday looked more likely to score in the game than Watford did at the Vic. Watford did not look sharp. Their midfield looked very static and stale. Loser was very poor in the game again. I don't think he dis- uh, distinguished himself at all. Um, there were some flashes and signs from Watford. They were very, very fortunate to have a penalty decision against them overturned by the linesman. You do not see that very much in the championship, especially since the championship doesn't have VAR. Once the referee points to the spot, that Usually is that in the championship, but there must have been some angels 
playing with the hearts of, uh, <laughs> I don't know, Sheffield Wednesday? Or was it Watford? You know that song from the year of mix. Um, there must be an angel playing with my heart. Well, I think there was an angel playing with Watford fans' hearts because our hearts were in our mouths with that penalty decision. And then, of course, uh, the linesman overturned that, overruled the ref, which is, again, um, that's credit to that linesman. Um, and uh, that's a really, really big break for Watford there because I thought Jamal Lewis did trip the Wednesday player in the box there. And Wednesday really would have deserved the lead because they played so much better for at least 20 to 25 minutes, certainly of the second half and, and for much of the first half as well. Wednesday bossed the game. Watford were poor. So, you know, again, um, kudos to that linesman. That, that takes a lot to do that uh, in that situation. And it's extremely rare that that kind of thing happens in the championship match. So that really was something that turned fortunes for Watford. And you thought that Watford would kick on in that game against Wednesday, but they really didn't take full advantage of that um, penalty overturn until the 82nd minute where Yasser Aspria came on the pitch just before then and made an immediate impact within five minutes, I think, of him coming on. He cut in from his right side into the middle of the top of the 18-yard box and corkscrewed his body and smashed home a shot with his left foot past the bottom right-hand corner into the bottom right-hand corner of the goalkeeper's net. Brilliant stuff. It really was a really a sensational individual effort. Excellent skill from Yasser Espria, who has that kind of thing in his locker. And uh, I thought that he was a very important player on Saturday, as was, of course, Ken Semba, the Yawns man of the match for that game against Wednesday with his performance coming in off the bench in the second half, his first game back for Watford in a number of weeks. Val put him on. Val put on a number of subs. Uh, Georgie as well. I think they all did well. Kone um, was lively in this game. Looked pretty darn good. And um, the, as Spear obviously as well. But the man of the match for me in that one was Ken Summer. Watford fans, you all in general, voted for Ken Sammer as well as the man of the match for Watford Saturday. So that brought us then to this past Tuesday where Watford were back in South Wales, literally less than a month after they had been there previously against Cardiff. And they were hoping to exercise the demons of the uh, 4-0 slaughter that they suffered just before the end of the calendar year last year, if you remember. And I know you want to forget desperately about that game because I have tried many a time to forget about Swansea City 4 Watford nil. Of course, I failed in that effort. And Swansea just put the business on us that day. Um, it was a Friday night. Uh, I do remember it very clearly now, December the 29th, 2022. Literally the last game of the calendar year for Watford in the season last season. And Swansea, without much effort at all, had been cruising in this game. I think it was 3-0 at halftime. It might have been 4-0 at halftime. I think it was 3-0 at halftime. With very little effort, Swansea just put four goals past us. And we really did not perform in that game at all. Uh, just a complete no-show. And it was uh, after the Boxing Day result against Millwall where we lost at home 2-0. Now, it's interesting, of course, because our next opponent will be Millwall. I'll talk about that in a minute. But Watford, coming into the game against you know, Swansea, had not won away in the championship, had not won away since January the 2nd of 2023. So that is almost 10 months ago now, if you can believe it. 
Um, it's been that long and Watford were fighting against that effort. They had had a poor record on the Saturdays. They had a poor away record. Um, they had not been very good. They had been, they've conceded, they had conceded goals in almost every away game they've played. Uh, if I remember stretches, stretching back, I think there's only one game or two games in that stretch where Watford did not concede a goal. One of those games is the game, if you remember, against Bristol City that ended nil-nil, uh, which was a really dreary affair. But Watford and Bristol City at Bristol City, that was nil-nil. And I think there may have been one other game in which Watford did not concede. Probably not, though. I think other than that game, they conceded in every away game in that nearly 10-month stretch. But with a couple of absences, Ryan Porteous without him in the mix because of his yellow card accumulation. Um, also out is Ryan Andrews. Of course, he's serving that four-match ban. And um, look, the bottom line is, is that Adjustments were going to be made in that game against Swansea, and they were. And without TDB suspended uh, from this game because by the manager because of his lack of discipline showing up late to a team meeting, um, which I'll get into a little bit as well, um, Watford had a starting lineup that had some changes. A Kone starting, you had Kayembe starting, and you had starting in your back four, Sierra Alta, which is really where he should be from here on in. Pairing with Hood in that central uh, pairing in the back four. And on your left side, you had Jamal Lewis, who I think has become an absolute rock now for Watford at left back. And at right back, you had Jeremy Ngaka, who's beginning to grow into that role now. Um, and I think it's going to be pretty difficult to wrestle that starting position off of Ngakia if he continues to play the way he has lately. But those were your back four. And then, of course, you had Tom Ince on your right-hand side. You had on your left, Martins. You had up top, Bio. And in your midfield, as I said, you had Jake Livermore um, as the holding midfielder. You had uh, Kone and Kayembe roaming around there as well. So it was really a 4-3-3. And so away we go for Swansea. And so Swansea in this game started out fairly decently. Um, they were just really feeling each other out for the first 10 minutes or so. And then Watford began to grow into the game and started to pepper Swansea's goal and also to keep the goalkeeper alert. One thing that Watford have not done well this season and in previous seasons, a recent note, is to keep those goalkeepers honest for the opposition, not really troubling them at all. Same thing on Saturday, didn't really trouble that Wednesday goalkeeper until that individual moment of brilliance and initiative from Espria. And that changed in this game. Watford were much more purposeful going forward. Yes, there were still issues with the final ball. Yes, there were still issues with decision-making in the final third. But for the most part, those things were not on display against the uh, side that they played, Swansea. As a matter of fact, I thought Jeremy Ngake showed great decision-making ability. And I really enjoyed um, watching him uh, down that right field side. I thought he was very commanding in his presence, in his poise. I think the Watford side were very composed. There's a good composure about Watford as they began to feel out Swansea in this game. And then they began to grow into the game and take over the game and sent a number of warning signs to Sheffield, excuse me, Sheffield, to um, Swansea. Swansea had a couple of moments as well. 
in the game. But Watford really, I thought, by the time we got to the halfway point of the first half, had begun to take control and at halftime had had a number of shots. In fact, they finished the half with more shots on target than than Swansea did. As a matter of fact, I think it was six shots on target for Watford, or th- excuse me, three shots on target for Watford at halftime, only one on target for Swansea. And um, that really shows you that Watford were uh, much more lively in their purpose and in their endeavor. And they looked like more of a unit. They looked like they were helping each other more in the first half of the game. So then they grew into the game. And then in the second half, they continued to play well. Ken Semmer came in again. Uh, there were some changes and adjustments. Other subs came in. Georgie came in. Aspria uh, came in and you started to see the side look more dynamic, more energetic. Martins, who did not have a particularly good game, did not distinguish himself. Well, don't forget, he's still coming off the bereavement leave where, you know, he lost a family member. And so um, he didn't. I don't know if that is why he didn't play as well as we've accust- accustomed to seeing him. We take Martins for granted now because he's been so good all season. There's maybe been only two games, including this one, where he didn't register. Um, but the bottom line is, is that he came off. He was ineffective in this game uh, against Swansea. But the side where the subs that came on had a new purpose and fluidity and a mission uh, to them. And they began to work for each other. Bio, his work rate, uh, extraordinary as always, um, should have scored in this game. He had a shot in the first half. He headed the ball um, down into the ground, hoping to get it over the goalkeeper. And sometimes it's an instinctual thing. You just choose your best way to try to score. Sometimes you can go either left or right the keeper. And sometimes you, you head the ball into the ground and hope that that will take the ball over the goalkeeper. And sometimes that works, sometimes it doesn't. And in Bio's case, it did not work. But Bio had a good game, a solid game in this one before he got subbed off for Radjevic, who put in some running, um, tried to make himself uh, a nuisance. But I don't think he really flowed in the overall scheme of this game. This game came down to what happened with the link-up play. And the link-up play improved in the second half with Espria coming in. Ince came off. Ince had a few moments in the first half, but he didn't affect the game either. And when you brought Espria in on that right side, taking that advanced role uh, and moving into that front three, um, I thought you saw some really good things from him. And it, it paid dividends. Ken Semmer came in on the left. And so you really had Sema and Radjevic and Espria. That's what it looked like to me, at least. Espria would drop back sometimes, but I thought that his passing, again, was very important in this game because when the 82nd minute came, and for the second consecutive game now, an 82nd minute goal, it was Espria involved again. And Espria put forth a really nice ball across to Ken Sema, who gathered the ball, took a touch or two, and then just let fly. A really great shot, unleashing it into the top um, right-hand corner of the goalkeeper's net. And that was it. A sublime strike. Reminiscent, by the way, of the strike, if you remember this, from several seasons ago in the Premier League, of Holabas, Jose Holabas, who hit a, a similar type shot against Middlesbrough away from home. 
to give Watford a 1-0 win there, if you remember that game from several seasons back. So that, for me, was a sublime moment, a moment of initiative that Watford took in the game. And I think really what you're going to see now from Watford are these moments of quality. When confidence builds, and there's no secret confidence is an issue, and mentality overall is a larger part of that. That has been an issue. Discipline has been an issue on and off the pitch, and I'll get to that again with TDB after the break. Um, and all these other things that, that happen, lack of discipline, all the rest, as I've said, um, game management. These are all parts of what mentality are all about, and that's predicated on confidence and discipline and all these things. And you see initiative as part of that too. Who will take the initiative? Who will be a leader on this Watford pitch when the chips are down and the game is on the line? Who is that going to be? And we've seen who that's been the last two games, whether it's Ken Semmer or Espria. And both of them have been very good these last two games. Kone has been excellent in these last three games. He's been a marauder out there in midfield. And I think the midfield that we have has lacked a lot of teeth this season. I think Luz has been awful the last four or five games. I think TDB, he has moments, but I think he loses, I think, a sense of direction um, in this midfield sometimes, TDB. And again, I'll get to the discipline issue there after the break. But Watford now, at least in these last three games, have begun to take some initiative and grown in character. And since Ishmael, Val that is, uh, Val Ishmael, held these players over for over an hour after that debacle at Sunderland, since then, Watford have not lost. There's no secret that there's been an effect, a knock-on effect there. And as far as I'm concerned, um, I think that this is a really, really good um, sign. Now, again, of course, football is only is a momentum-based game. And you're only as good as your last result, really. And things can turn very quickly in football one way or another. But this was a good performance from Watford uh, away from home. Finally getting their first away win in nearly 10 months, their first away win since January 2nd at Carrow Road against Norwich City. You remember that well, all the way back there. I think it was on a Monday or a Tuesday. I think it was a Monday where they won that game. It was way back at the beginning of the year. And that was, of course, in last season. And that was the difference in that game late on. It wasn't the 80-something minute. I think it was the 87th minute of that game. 84th minute, 87th. Watford like to leave it in the 80s, don't they? Um, scoring these goals in the 80th minute or the 82nd minute twice. And a clean sheet. Daniel Batten, by the way, it should not be forgotten and must be said, made an excellent contribution in this game. In the last 10, 15 minutes, made some excellent saves to keep Swansea out. Swansea had actually put the ball in the back of the net before the Watford goal. And um, it was adjudged to be a foul, though. And uh, that's why the goal was disallowed. And I, I, I thought for sure that it was going to be counted. Then you see the replays, you see there was a push on a Watford player in the box. And so the referee um, turned that over. I think it was Pedersen who was trying to get his first goal this season, I think, for Swansea, his first in Swansea colours. Um, but that was not to be. And thankfully for Watford, they were able to ride that out and literally within a few minutes of that, get their goal to win the game. So really good result for Watford. 
two wins on the spin. They look to try to make it three this weekend against a very tough Millwall side who lost as well in midweek. But Millwall are always a difficult proposition, especially when they come to Vicarage Road. We've seen that recently, although we beat Millwall, of course, in 2021 to get promotion in that game that Saw scored the penalty in. So that was the last time we've beaten Millwall. Uh, each time since then, we've lost to Millwall. And we will try to break that uh, this coming Saturday at the Vic. So that is really where we are now with Watford. The men's first team, I think, are beginning to grow in confidence. Their game management was very good. Their discipline was very good in this game against Swansea. No issues there. No yellow cards there either, as far as I can remember. But Watford, get the win. Get the three points. Start to move up the table. I won't look at the table, really, until we get to the halfway point now. Uh, people were worried about a relegation scrap. And I, again, I cautioned against the worry there. It was understandable to worry about it as a Watford supporter. But I had said, wait till we get to game 20, uh, halfway point, then we can start to assess it and then I'll give my view on it. And I didn't think that we were in a relegation scrap. I felt that we just needed to continue to change our mentality, change the way we behaved, cut out the lack of discipline on the pitch and off the pitch and, and all the rest of that and manage the game better. And I thought Watford managed the game really well against Swansea. And that's really what got them through here. So that is that as far as Watford are concerned, the men's first team. Swansea nil, Watford won. Two wins on the spin. Let's try to make it three on Saturday. When I come back, I'll be talking about discipline off the pitch. Welcome back to this brand new edition of Yawns. I'm Omar Moore. Jingle bells, jingle bells, jingle all the way. Oh, what fun it is to see Watford win away. Yes, it is the holiday season, but even if it's not the holiday season, jingle bells is always good to say when Watford win away. And they did on Tuesday night in South Wales at the SwansseaCity.com stadium against that Swansea side that actually destroyed us just, what, roughly a year before on the 29th of December of 2022. Now, that was almost the last time that Watford last won an away game. You have to go back just a few days after that for Watford's previous away win. <laughs> it's just unbelievable. Literally just, what, three days after that. On January the 2nd, 2023, that was the last time that Watford had won away from home until this Tuesday that just passed us by with the win at Swansea. A good clean sheet for Watford. There's no bad clean sheet for Watford. Watford now have two clean sheets on the spin as well. I think that's important. They'll give the defense a bit more fortification and foundation. And you have to now keep this defensive pairing of Sierra Alta and Hutt. I think Wes Hutt has been quietly good again the last two or three games. And Sierra Alta is back to where he's most comfortable. And look, I think Ryan Portis might well win back that spot in the central defensive pairing. But the bottom line is, is that Sierra Alta works much, much better. I think most Watford fans would agree being in that central defensive pairing. Uh, there's just no question about it. He's got more of a presence. He's a bigger body. He's more physical. I think he um, is a much bigger aerial threat. He's somebody who is going to, I think, clear the danger. And he did it very well on Tuesday night 
in South Wales. I thought the whole team performed very well. The standout players, obviously, were Ken Summer and also Kone. And uh, Jake Livermore was particularly good as well in this game. Kayembe was very good in the game. Uh, Daniel Batman, as I said, made some excellent saves in this game. So I think it was more or less a team effort, really. Everybody chipped in. But someone who did not chip in on Tuesday night was TDB, Tom Deli Bashiru. Someone who I, I really have uh, grown to admire. I've admired him from a, a long way out because ever since he came into Watford, he was someone who was going to make an impact as men's first team. He had some setbacks with some gruesome injuries. Um, one game against Reading several years ago um, and then come back from that and then get another injury that kept him out. And now to be back and then to grow in confidence and to score the first goal of this new Watford men's first team season. I thought it was all fantastic, gravy stuff, real character about TDB. But what disappointed me was the news this week that TDB had shown up late to a team meeting. And as a result of that, the manager, Val Ishmael, suspended him, disciplined him, did not include him in the squad at all. So he did not even travel to South Wales, which I'm sure he probably was happy about in some ways. But to be serious, let's get back to being serious here, though, for a moment, um, because discipline is a problem for Watford. I've talked about this. It goes from the top down with the owner. We talked about the owner enough times here. I think there's a number of us as Watford fans who are resolute about uh, wanting a change in ownership. The only thing I ask, uh, and I'm one of them, by the way, but the only thing I ask about that is, okay, we want this particular owner gone, but who are we bringing in? You know, that, that's the question that's always harder to answer. But the bottom line here, uh, dear listener, and thank you, fellow Watford supporter, uh, for listening to this edition of the Yawns podcast, uh, Watford FC, um, things, all things Watford related. Um, the larger issue is this goes from the top. It festers throughout the team. And when you've got veteran players like Ben Hamer, the goalkeeper who's played just once or twice for Watford, once in the game against Coventry last season at Watford, were up 2-0 in and blew and end up drawing 2-2. You remember that? Uh, that was a good Friday game or a Easter Monday game, actually. That was a game that happened this calendar year. And the game that I think it was in one of the cup competitions that he played in. When you get veteran players like Ben Hamer showing up late for training or not going up to a meeting or whatever it was, he showed up late for, didn't attend. And when you got veteran players like uh, Imran Luza, who are benched for training, you know, showing up late or benched for the game, not, you know, in the squad at all because they showed up late for meetings or things like that. It doesn't bode well. It's not a good thing. It sends a very negative message to the rest of your teammates. It says it really does say to them that you don't care. And that can be very infectious in a very bad way in a team. And I don't like to use the words beginning with C and ending in R. You know, the six-letter word that has A-N-C-E in it as well. You get the six-letter word I'm talking about. Because that's not the right word to use. That's a serious illness. And that's something that takes people's lives. And I'm not going to use that kind of term to describe what's going on when you've got a series of players at Watford, men's players, who are not showing up on time for training, not showing up on time for team meetings. There really is no excuse for that. So I'm going to use the word that becomes poisonous for a football club, for a football team. 
It sends the wrong message, a poisonous message to your teammates. And then some teammates who look at you and look up to you as a veteran footballer that you are and a leader suddenly look around and go, well, look, if he's doing it, then, hey, it can't be that bad. I'll do it too. And TDB is a younger player. He's been at Watford now for several seasons, on and off. He's been on loan. But this is not a good look when you have players continuing to do this. But the thing that does come out of this for me is that Val Ishmael is a manager who actually gives a damn about wanting to do something about ill discipline. And as I've said before, and I've said many times this season, the lack of discipline off the pitch affects the results on it. Because that means you bring a lackadaisical attitude to what you do on the pitch as well. You can't separate those two things. If you are late for training, and if you don't give a damn, clearly because you show up late, you're not going to give a damn on the pitch either. And it's no accident that the players that I am talking about here, who have been disciplined publicly, it's been known that they've been disciplined, are the same players who aren't doing well on the pitch right now. Now, Ben Hamey didn't even play, so let's leave him off. But he still has got to do better than what he's done. You always have to be ready as a footballer. Always have to be ready. Regardless, if you've not played in six months, in five months, you've got to be ready. But there is no accident, fellow Watford supporter, that the players who have been disciplined are the players who also aren't doing well on the pitch as of late. TDB has not really distinguished himself since the opening couple of games of the season. Scoring that goal after, what, just 33 seconds against Queen's Park Rangers to start the season off with a bang? But he's done very little since. I mean, he's had some moments in midfield, but the midfield has not really run well with the fluidity and the direction and the vision that it could. And Imran Loser has had discipline problems this season. I think he even has some last season. And... Imran Luzo is one of the senior members of the team, named to that senior coterie of Watford men's first team players, who was supposedly leadership committee staff material. But he's obviously not because at least twice this season he's been disciplined for showing up late. He's shown up late twice for meetings or for training. And he also is not playing well. He's not played well for over a month now for this team that we love, this club that we love. So for me, it's very, very clear. If players aren't going to play well, and if players aren't going to show the kind of professionalism that professional footballers are supposed to show off the pitch, then they really don't belong at Watford Football Club. I don't care how good they are. I don't care what their technical ability is. I don't care what skill sets they have. If you can't show up on time for a meeting, if you can't show up on time for training, then you don't belong at Watford Football Club. You don't belong at the Vic. If you, as a professional footballer, can't be professional, why should Watford Football Club and the fans of Watford Football Club want you as one of their valued members? Why would you want to be on this team? Why would you want to be at Vicarage Road? Because this new manager that we've got here now is making it very clear. Either you perform and be professional or you've got to get lost. 
And I think that TDB and Ben Hamer and Imran Loser have to start making decisions about where they want to be as footballers. And you would think that as a professional, you would want to have enough pride in yourself to show up on time for meetings, show up on time for training. What would these lads show up on time for? If you can't, as a professional footballer, show up on time for training or for a team meeting, then you shouldn't be allowed to play these games. I don't care if it's a friendly. I don't care if it is a preseason match. Still a friendly. I don't care if it is a Carabao Cup match, an FA Cup match, a championship match. Part of mentality is professionalism. And if your mentality and your attitude and your approach to being professional is to show up late for team meetings, to show up late for training, then your mentality is not right to play the game of football. You have to be intricate in every step as a professional footballer. In fact, as a person, generally, if you really want the best in yourself and the best of yourself, You have to apply and give the best of yourself to everything you do. There are no shortcuts on this earth that we live on. And as far as professional footballers go, you can't shortcut to get to the Premier League, the Championship, wherever you play. You can't shortcut. There's a Watford fan recently told me that he was playing football for the under-17s, for his country, and said that he had been, I think, benched for training or was going to be benched because he didn't train hard enough. There are no shortcuts. I hope I have the story right, if you're listening. Fellow Watford supporter, you know who you are. But there are no shortcuts. You cannot half-bake this. I'll put it that way. I was going to use another word. You have to apply yourself to the max. Some days you might not feel like doing it. But you are a professional footballer. You are earning a salary. And even if you weren't earning a salary, your own personal sense of pride should hopefully propel you to want to put an effort in at showing up on time for a team meeting. And if you're not going to do that, then you shouldn't be part of a team by definition. I do hope that TDB changes his ways here. And I do hope that Ben Hamer and Imran Luza do the same. Because when you change your mentality and your attitude towards showing up for a meeting and hopefully on time, then perhaps you'll change your attitude on the pitch and perhaps you'll be more of a team player and a better contributor when the moment demands it, when every minute of the 95 minutes demands it. I do really appreciate and respect TDB, and I like him as a person. I care about all of these lads. We all do as Watford supporters. 
but not just on the pitch, also off it. And if there are issues off the pitch for any of these players, they need to get those sorted. And I'm sure that they have people in their lives who do that. But no matter what there are, whether there are issues or not off the pitch for any of these Watford men's first team players or any player at Watford, male, female, whomever, there is no excuse for failing to show up on time for a team meeting or training. No excuse for that. None. We all have to be better. You do, I do, we all do. And professional footballers are no exception to that. I do wish better and hope for better from all of these players, not just the three that I have mentioned. I'll be right back. Welcome back, fellow Watford fan. Always good to have you aboard listening to this edition of the Yuan's Watford FC podcast. Omar here. And just to close things out, Ben Manga was let go earlier this month. That's one thing I've not really talked about a lot. Um, it's been a, a wild last few weeks with Watford and the international break and a lot of things going on, of course. Um, but I, I want to just say something quickly about Ben Manga. Ben Manga came in here about a year ago now, literally in November of 2022. He was announced as the technical director. He had been given a number of responsibilities, or at least he had assumed a number of responsibilities, including having a lot more say over personnel and also uh, making managerial hires, apparently, or reportedly, or allegedly. Um, I'm, I'm still not so sure about whether that was really true or not. But the bottom line is he had been said to have gained a lot of responsibility. He was someone who had come in with a really good reputation. And I think that re- that reputation remains intact, by the way. But he had been known and respected and, and still is known and respected across Europe as someone who was able to pick out really good talent. Um, Eintracht Frankfurt was one of the most notable ones for him. He's had a good pedigree of over 25 plus years, 30 years of all of this as a scout, as a technical director. He is one of the very best in all of football. And he had his team of Heidi Costa, I believe it was her name, and one or two others. And they had all been brought in and, and they were looking to... Um, really see what was going on and make some impact at Watford. But by the time we got to April of this year, which is just, what, six months ago now, things changed rapidly. Uh, There was an interview in the Watford Observer that Andrew French did over the course of a, I think it was a multi-part interview. And Ben Manga was talking about his hopes for the club, what he was looking for, um, how he had talked to Gino about the importance of sticking with the manager and bringing in continuity and making sure that that happened and that all and all those things seemed to be coming on board when he brought in. And I think it was Manga, but maybe who knows who made the ultimate decision to bring uh, to bring Val here when he brought Val here, whoever brought Val here. And Val came in in May, right after the season had ended. And people had mixed reaction to it. Some people were supportive. Some people, like me, were very skeptical. And other people still were downright not in favor of the move. Um, And so the bottom line is is that Ben Manga seemed to be humming along. 
Um, yes, there were issues with some of the players that came in and did not come in. Um, Raymond I had long since gone. Um, I think after that with Ben Manga coming in uh, by April of this year, Ben uh, well Raymond I had I think pretty much said his goodbyes, if not just after that when the season ended. And Raymond I was a disaster. He was an absolute disaster at the club. Um, we didn't see anything of Ignacio Pasetto. He um, is no longer with Watford. We saw nothing of him really. Just the one, the famous game, the goal line clearance game against Tottenham Hotspur and the Watford nil, Tottenham nil game in the Premier League a few years back. That was his sole contribution really. The Jao Ferreira move, uh, loan move to, uh, I think it was uh, to Udinese, um, season long loan. Um, so all these things happened, I think some of these things happened or many of these things happened under Ben Manga. And Ben Manga wasn't responsible, I think, for bringing in a load of these players. I, I'm not sure if he was. I don't think so, if I remember correctly. But the bottom line for me is um, there are some other things going on behind the scenes, surely. Cristiano Gioretta's reappearance as the sporting director, I think, is a big variable in all of this. And whether Gino or not, and of course, what I am telling you here is pure speculation and, and should be taken only as such. What I, whether or not, while Gino was seemingly on board with Ben Manga having a lot more power and control in certain issues as a technical director, he obviously kept his ace in the pack, if you will. And I put the word ace in quotes where it comes to Cristiano Giretta because it was Giretta who had the higher public profile when um, Radjevic came in. And I don't know if Radjevic was a Ben Manga hire or not. I don't know. But all I know is that Radjevic was here and it was the sporting director, Cristiano Giretta, who was on the Watford socials, pictured and videoed and all the rest of it, bringing in and welcoming in Radjevic, the new number nine striker, the new number nine. And so that was interesting to me. And I wondered about that. If Ben Manga was the one that was supposedly having more control over p player personnel, how come he wasn't on the videos? How come he wasn't on the video introducing uh, Radjevic? Maybe he was sick that day. Maybe he was out ill that day. I don't know. Maybe he overslept. I don't know. But the thing is, it, it didn't make sense to me. And, and the thing that's even more interesting is that, I, if I remember correctly, Ben Manga was a, a recent at our, uh, whatever, at our day, whatever that is, at our whatever, those uh, at our place. One of those at our place meetings. Ben Manga was at one as recently, I think, as May or June or July or whatever it was. Uh, you know, he was recently at one of these meetings talking about how things were going and he was you know, happy with what was happening and he was this and it was that. And all of a sudden now he's not got a job anymore. I just think there's a lot of power play going on. I don't know. I'm not inside of Vicarage Road with the Watford Brass. I haven't sat down and spoken to them. I don't know how much Andrew French knows about that either, whether he's been able to have those kinds of talks with them privately or not as a journalist. But my bottom line is, is that I suspect, again, this is all speculation, that there may have been some power play, some power struggle going on or a power play going on. 
And you don't have your sporting director be back in on the fold as he was because Gioretta got that deal. See, this is where this was key for me. In May, when that lot up the M1, that hated lot, that wretched lot got promoted to the Premier League, that same day it was announced uh, on the down low, if you will, that Gioretta had just been re-upped for a four-year deal as a sporting director or a three-year deal, whatever the heck it was. And I think that was a critical thing. That was in May of this year, 2023, the same day that that news broke that he was signed on for another three or four years. And that, for me, spelled trouble for Ben Manga right there. And I think that is where Gino was fortifying um, some kind of power structure around him. He obviously trusts Giorette. He's known him for a long time. They're good friends and all the rest of it, I think. And so, or they've, you know, they've come across each other and along a lot in football, whether in the United Kingdom or elsewhere and beyond in, in continental Europe and all the rest of it. So I think that's what's happened. And I think that Ben Manga was squeezed out of there. Now, I just don't think he was given enough time. I don't think you can give a, a technical director less than a year on the job and then can him um, based on what? Because some of the things that Ben Manga was saying publicly through the Watford Observer and Andrew French's reporting seemed pretty sound to me. Fairly sound, very sound, logical. You know, I, I didn't see anything at issue there. I think the, also the other variable here is Val Ishmael. And I think Val Ishmael um, was trusted and respected more than Ben Manga was. And I think that what happened was is that Gino may have decided to give Val a whole lot more power. And when it was revealed that Val got an extension, which he did earlier this month, or was it last month, whenever it was, and it was this month, um, when he was revealed to get an extra extension, a longer extension before the international break or during it, or before the international break that we just had, that also, I think, was something that was significant. It took a lot of people by surprise. I was pleasantly surprised by it. I thought that was a really good move. But I think Ben Manga probably wasn't very happy with it. And I think that that too, knowing that I think Val had a structure in place and had an idea of what he wanted. I don't know what the relationship between Val and Ben Manga was, but the bottom line is, is that that effect, effectively made Ben Manga, rendered him useless, really. And I, I think that that's another key move that pushed Manga out. So I think, um, again, all speculation a combination of a power structure situation um, and Ben Mangles on the outside looking in. And you had Val in there. Val got the trust of the board and got the trust of the owner. They meet every day. I think Ben Manga probably was squeezed out of there. And then Gioretta on the other side of it. Um, it was really going to be, uh, I think, from there, a tough lift. And it's a shame because I think Ben Manga could have um, brought some good ideas in here and had been allowed to, to let them germinate. But obviously, um, for whatever reason, behind the scenes, things that you and I don't know, um, Gino probably was not going to have that. And um, Gino Pozzo is a very proud person. We know that. Um, and he's not afraid to uh, uphold that and do that in the name of sacking people too. Um, and um, one thing about Gino, I think, and I don't know him personally, when he perceives a threat, I think, to his power and his status, um, he's going to make that move. And he got rid of Nigel Pearson that way when there was a verbal between them, I think. 
a verbal spat perhaps between the owner and Pearson. He's done this a number of times and he will just drop the hammer. And um, I think that happened to Ben Manga for some reason. There may have been some, uh, some difference of agreement. We'll never know. All of what you've just heard from me is entirely speculative. But I want to end on a, a note of Watford doing the business. The Watford women I, I'm really concerned about now. They've dropped five in a row. Um, some very difficult defeats, some of them heavy defeats, some of them agonizing defeats. I'll talk a lot more about the Watford women on the next edition of this podcast. I want to thank each and every one of you for listening. Don't forget to join me on Saturdays and on other match days for the Yawns post-match on Twitter or X at Yawns WFC. And of course, on Instagram for Yawns Extra on Instagram Live at Yawns WFC on Instagram. Please subscribe to the Yawns WFC YouTube channel. Like and subscribe to the videos and tell your Watford fellow Watford friends and supporters about Yawns WFC on YouTube. And of course, it's this podcast. You can listen to this whenever you choose on Apple, Spotify, Google, and numerous of the podcasting platforms. Download the episodes, pass them around, and subscribe. Thank you very much indeed for listening. I'm Omar. And until next time, you.